what else do you remember about him? Oh, he was a hide-and-seek legend. There was this one time I looked all over town, couldn't find him. Turns out he walked out into the middle of the lake and sat down. Absolute legend. As you can imagine, how you guys doing? Good to have you here today. Thanks for being with us. Also want to say a special shout out to all of our church online around the globe, Asia, South America, the United States, wherever you're joining us from, you are a part of us and we're glad that you're with us. Are we glad that they're with us? Yeah. yeah. Let's go. So we are in the middle, the smack middle of our James series, James chapter three. We're taking a chapter a week and really, really diving in. And I want to do a quick recap. First of all, we have to know a couple things about James that really help us to understand his words. First of all, you got to know James is the brother of Jesus, the half brother of Jesus. James grew up with Jesus, shared a room and a house with Jesus. Uh, in case you're wondering how the half brother thing worked, it was the same mom, different dad. Uh, more on that in our next series, um, which is Christmas. Uh, but also, James didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe he was God, which is not hard to imagine, until after Jesus died and was resurrected and went to heaven, um, and, and which James became one of the many followers of Jesus. And James was really the one who started the Jewish church in Jerusalem. Paul and Peter were two of the first apostles, but they kind of started to travel and go uh, tell other people about this movement of Jesus and, and what he was doing. And James stayed. James really... Uh, uh, was the kind of the first pastor of the Jewish church. And the Jews mattered because um, those were the, the Messianic Jews were the Jews that started following Jesus as the Messiah. And so that he's kind of talking to them in their world, in their context. Um, and, uh, and, and they were under a lot of persecution. They were under persecution from Rome uh, at that time, but they were also under persecution from the Jews that didn't believe Jesus was, was Messiah or Savior. They, uh, they thought he was a prophet or whatever. They tried to get rid of him. They tried to kill him. And so there was a lot of persecution. And so James... Um, he writes this really short but powerful letter to all of the, the Jews at the time. And there, there had been so much oppression and so much persecution that they had kind of been scattered. And so he writes this letter to all of the, the Messianic Jews in that area. And his, his whole letter was really influenced by two main biblical uh, places. Number one was the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. Uh, and then number two was the teachings of Jesus. But even more specifically, most of his references are a direct reference to um, Jesus's Sermon on the Mount that we find in Matthew 6, 5, 6, and 7, also parts of it in Luke 6. And so today we're going to look at one of those places as well. And, and the whole theme of, of James is really kind of just showing that the life and the teaching of Jesus was kind of this perfect Torah or this perfect law. And it was the, the, the best way. It was how to maximize or live the ultimate life of love God and love your neighbor. He's, he's saying, if you want to be about, if you want your life to be about loving God and loving your neighbor, this is what it's about. And so um, James, the book of James, every about third sentence, like I said, is kind of just another haymaker to really just put his finger, get in our business. But it's all inviting us and causing us to wrestle with this one question. And I hope you're almost getting tired of hearing it because this is the most important question that we can ask on a regular basis. And the question is this, is the ultimate goal or is the goal of my life to become more and more like Jesus? 
James is writing his letter to anybody who would answer yes to that question. If the goal of your life is to be more like Jesus, there may not be a better five or six pages in the Bible to wrestle with and dive into than the brother of Jesus who didn't used to believe in Jesus, but then after Jesus showed himself, believed in Jesus, and he's gonna help you really, really follow Jesus. And so you gotta know from the beginning, if, you are, if, you, if this is the goal of your life, is to be more and more like Jesus, you have to understand that no matter what time in history you were born, no matter what part of the world you were born, no matter what culture you were born into, if you are going to follow Jesus, there, you can almost guarantee that your life will look very different than people who are not following Jesus. So we gotta stop acting surprised when people look at us like we're crazy. Uh, we also gotta stop acting surprised when people that don't know Jesus act and live like they don't know Jesus. That's, I've, that's, I've never understood that with churches. Like, they're terrible people. I'm like, well, yeah, of course, they don't know Jesus. Why wouldn't they be? Um, and so, so James is getting us, and he's just getting in our business, and we've been through it. And so if you're just joining us for the first week, we have three previous weeks online. Um, you can go back in the archives, but we're going to dive into James chapter 3. We're going to tackle this whole chapter. Uh, and for fun, we're just going to do a little kind of a fun uh, exercise. We'll, uh, we'll ask this question. I want you to think about it. Um, uh, you don't need to say it out loud. You, just, you can just think about it. And here's my question. Uh, if you could be any kind of a tree, what kind of a tree would you be? I can't believe nobody said anything. That's the first time I've ever given instructions to just think about it and not say it, and nobody actually said it. You guys have come so far as a congregation, as learners. Your faith has grown. Your intellect has grown. Now, online, I'm sure like 18 people are like, oak tree. I don't know. So I, I can't see, um, but I hope you're having fun with it. So thank, I hope you thought of something. Either that or you're all like, uh, I don't really care. Um, either way, um, if you could be a tree, and, and, and so we're going to kind of have fun with this question over the next few minutes, but we're going to ask and come back to this. What kind of a tree are you? Because James used a lot of pictures and a lot of imagery, specifically in this part of his letter in chapter three. Now, if you remember in chapter one, he kind of broke it into three sections. They all started with a T. He starts with trials. Then he talks about temptation and then he goes to tongue. One person was there and listening. Amazing. Um, and so in, in, in chapter three, here's what you need to know. He's going to kind of double down on the tongue idea. He's going to really break it down. He's going to make it abundantly clear in case you missed it two pages ago. Hey, I have a little bit more to say about that. This is actually so important. It bears repeating and extrapolating. That's what most of James three is. And so we're going to go there because again, the book of James, when he starts talking about the, the tongue and, and, and the whole question of who do I want to live my life fashioned after is he's, he's made it clear from the beginning in chapter one that there can be a contrast from our words to our actions, right? He said at the end, he's like, don't just talk, 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 but do something, right? Remember, just do it. Like, go, go be about it. Don't just talk about it, be about it. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And so, um, so, but before we do, he puts this one little weird, it almost seems out of place initially, statement to begin chapter three, but let me ask you a question. What, imagine for me for a second, what would happen, what would you have thought or what would you have felt when, let's just say, you went into your first day of school? Maybe it was elementary school. Maybe it was college. Maybe it was high school. I don't know. Maybe it was a hard class. What if the first day of school, the teacher pointed you out in front of the whole class and said, I just want to be really upfront with you that I'm going to grade you much harder than anybody else in this class this year? How would you, you can actually answer that. How would you have responded? Yeah, boo hiss, like, oh, oh, challenge accepted. You are greater than most of us, sir. Um, 
I would have been like, foul, not fair. My injustice button would have been going off like, like, you know, like I usually earned that later. I never got it on the first day. Uh, uh, but, but imagine somebody says, hey, everybody else, they're going to kind of be graded on this scale, but I'm going to grade you way harder. Well, that's actually how James starts his letter. In chapter three, not the letter, but in chapter three, he says this. He says this kind of weird thing that seems out of place, but it makes sense when you look at it in the context of what he's going to say. And so he starts in verse one and he says this. Not many of you should become teachers because you know that we who teach, we're going to be judged more strictly. Now, there's a whole lot in that. Because he says, hey, don't rush into the influencer position. Don't rush into becoming the boss, the expert. You shouldn't be in a hurry to be the guy, to be the gal, to be that. It's a warning. He says, why? He says, because you are going to be under a microscope. There's going to be a scrutiny. There's also going to be a level of expectation there's going to be a grading scale that's a little bit higher for you than it is for everyone else. And let me tell you, as a leader teacher, man, is that true. (laughs) And for a lot of years, I only understood half of the truth of this. I always appreciated that if you're going to be a leader or a teacher, that God is going to judge you more strictly. What I didn't see coming was all you people. Because not only if you want to be the expert, if you want to be the leader, you want to be the teacher, you want to be the influencer, not only does God raise his standard for you, but I promise you, you will be judged more strictly by the people in your world around you as well. If you don't believe me, just ask Elon Musk this week as he purchased Twitter. (laughs) And here's what's interesting. He says, and and, and it's because he said this in a different, totally different culture. But fast forward to another part of the globe where we're at 2,000 years later, and all of a sudden, now we live in a day and age where everybody wants to be a leader. Everybody wants to be an expert. Everybody wants to be an influencer. Everybody, nobody wants to pay their dues. They just want to be the guy. They just want to be the gal. That's our world, right? And James, the brother of Jesus, who packs a punch, a really, really good one, would say, yeah, I wouldn't rush into that. It's uh, maybe not all it's cracked up to be. Did you know there's a higher grading scale? And then he's going to specifically talk about why and where. And he's going to say, he's going to say, here's why. Because if you don't use your influence, if you don't use your teaching rights, you have the ability to do a whole lot of damage. If you lead people wrong, the grading scale is higher because there's a lot more at stake. Because teachers have the ability to do a lot more damage. And then he's about to go into specifically how? Specifically a lot more damage with our words. Because his next sentence, he goes in and he says, we all stumble in many ways. Amen. Dilly dilly. Amen. Say it again, pastor. Like, yeah, we all struggle. None of us are perfect. We all have our issues. Like, as one of my pastors used to say, brother's got some stuff. You know what I mean? Like, we all got some stuff going on. He says, we all have stumbled in many ways. But he says... Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. He's not talking about actions. Well, wait a minute, James. You just said our actions are more important than our words like two chapters ago. Well, hold on. Let's see where he's going to go with this. 
He says, anyone who's never at fault, what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So he's saying this little thing right here has a big to do with everything else. And so here's what you need to know. That word perfect actually shows up many times in, in the book of James and actually throughout the New Testament. And often it doesn't mean what we mean it to mean. It doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean without sin because almost he'd be uh, contradicting himself right here. But that word perfect is actually the word uh, in Hebrew, it's tamim. And in Greek, it's teleos. It's the same word. You don't need to know know that, uh, but it really just means this word wholeness or integris or, or of one integer or authentic. So when he says perfect, what he really means when you see that word perfect, maybe kind of a better uh, a description or a better definition would be that your actions are always consistent with the values and belief that you receive from Jesus. When he says perfect, he means that your actions, they follow what you say you believe. They follow the example of Jesus. They follow the teachings of Jesus. Anybody still with me? Okay, cool. So he's going like, to like go in and go in and, and another thing and another thing. And he wants to make it really clear how big of a deal this is. And so he's saying, don't rush into being a leader. Don't rush into being an influencer. Why? Because there's a, a stricter code. Because now all of a sudden, you have the ability to do some damage and specifically with your words. And so now he's going to really dive into this. And so he goes into verse three and he says, now we put, when we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. And so horses are six to 800 pound animals, magnificent beasts, very strong. They can do a lot of things, uh, run through sand, up and down mountains. They can pull uh, farm equipment. They can literally rescue things. Horses are uh, magnificent. In and of their raw strength, a horse could have its way with a human. And if you don't believe me, go YouTube standing behind a horse. One little, that's it. That's all it took. And it could have just been like one of those. You know, it wasn't even like intentional. I needed you to have that image. Why? This is what a bit of a horse's mouth looks like. This is where you attach the reins. It goes across their mouth. And this one little thing can actually determine the entire course of a six to 800 pound glorious muscular beast. This little thing. James is saying, even though a horse has all of this power and all of this potential, it can be reined in and controlled and wherever, whoever's guarding it, whoever's guiding it, whoever's in charge of whatever attaches to this literally controls where that, that horse goes. He's saying one little part can just channel an entire energy force in one direction. Are you with James? Yeah. yeah. And he's like, in case you're not a horse person, but you're maybe more of a sailor, he goes to verse four, take ships for an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, and now we have these power motorboats. And I mean, you've all seen the boat that's like, you know, I don't know, 20 foot, but it's got like four, 450 engines on it. It's like, what do you need all that for, right? Um, the boat was $20,000. The motors were $120,000, you know. Um, take ships. They are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Again, we have figured out how to beat the buoyancy level of water and move across it and leverage wind and leverage power. Yet... One little rudder, this little piece can dictate the direction of a gigantic ship. Again, this in comparison to the size, the weight, the structure. Again, you've probably seen some of the images of all the boats piled up on the, on the wake of the hurricane. This little thing controls hundreds or thousands of people in the direction they go just by going. And that sounds that way sometimes. This one looks like it might sound that way. But it, 
It can make that whole ship turn, cause the course to change, change direction. So he says, just like a bit controls a horse, a rudder controls a ship. He's giving this imagery. He's like, I really want you to know this. And now he's going to talk about specifically one angle of our mouth, our words, our tongue. And then he's going to really kind of try to, 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 to make this make sense here in a minute. Verse 5, he says, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of a body, but makes great boasts. Consider what great forest is set on fire by a small spark. It's interesting. We've had several fires in California and, and actually even down south in the last several years. And, and again, how many of them were by one cigarette, one smark, one little flame has literally decimated forests and cities and displaced people? Why? Because he's, again, he's giving, he's like, and again, maybe you're not a horse person, maybe you're not a boat person, but maybe you're a pyro. So let me talk to you for a minute. Way too many of you know what that is. Uh, a little spark, you know, he's like, for all the fellas, fire. What fire? You know, like, talk to me, James. He says, you can create a massive devastation with the smallest spark. That sounds like a guy who's been married for a while. <laughs> what do I say? Well, that wasn't just the one spark. It was the forest fire. And then he goes on even further. He says, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil. Ooh. Among all the body parts. He's going to say something really, really crazy at the end of this verse. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, did you know that that's the only reference to hell in the entire Old New Testament? Other ones are, are Hades, uh, other geographical locations, uh, but this is the actual only reference of hell. And Jesus's brother uses it, and he uses it in relationship to how our tongues are used. And what he's saying is like a bit can control a horse, like a rudder can control a boat. This little tongue can dictate the entire energy force, potential strength that you have, and it can set the course of your life in a direction it doesn't want to go. The mouth is like a ship rudder, a horse bit. Uh, and he doesn't just talk about, he's not really talking about the good side of it, is he? He's talking about the destructive nature of it. And so what he's saying, and I think all of us understand this, because we're like, man, James, it seems like you're, I don't know, you're kind of taking this a little too far, a little extreme of all the things you could have made a big deal about. You spent an entire chapter on this. But I think we all know that one sentence can absolutely ruin somebody's reputation. One remark can devastate somebody's self-esteem. Some of you, that's your story. One sentence can damage a reputation, send someone into a spiral of depression. One statement has the potential to ruin a relationship decades old, maybe even a covenant relationship. One word, one sentence, one tone can do devastating damage. And one of the greatest lies and one of the greatest fallacies that we have in our entire world, we all learned as kids in elementary school, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. James would say that would be worldly wisdom. Because real wisdom says that most of the people I've worked with in my life, when they come to me about the damage done in their life, it's not that somebody threw a rock at them at recess. It's what mom said. It's what my boss said in front of all my coworkers. It's what the board said with everybody else in the room. It's what my husband said on his way out. It's what, right? Yep. And now I have that audio type on replay in my head. In fact, 
there's one important, I, I mentioned how big of a deal it is that um, he uses the word Satan here, or hell. There's one portion of scripture where Jesus called one of his disciples Satan. Did you know that? Jesus says what's about to happen, and you'll never guess which one overreacted. Peter. Yes, some of you remember our Christmas series last year. Peter, the overreactor. He's like, no, that'll never happen. You know what Jesus' response was in Matthew 16, 23? He says to, to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Satan, hell, see the connection? What was he saying? Was he calling, was he, was he saying that Peter was just terrible and, and damned to hell? No, that's not what he was saying. He was saying, you're using your tongue for hell right now. You're not saying, and what he was saying is Peter wasn't speaking the heart or the mind of God. He only had his own selfish interests at hand. I don't think in that moment Peter was thinking about, oh, man, I'm just so concerned for Jesus. I think he was so concerned of what his life would be like if Jesus wasn't there to bail him out every other page like he did in the New Testament. And so when Peter makes his declaration, that'll never happen, I'll never let that happen, Jesus is like, oh my gosh, here we go again. Get behind me, Satan. What is he talking about? That's, this is the reference James is actually making is, is this idea. And then he goes in to say, he's like, and if you think this is not a big deal, he's like, let me put you into this fascinating contrast. I love, James is brilliant in this. Because he's like, this tongue thing, these words, they're a really big deal. We're gonna drive this home in a minute. But he says, in fact, verse seven, he goes, in fact, in contrast to how big of a deal it is, we have some amazing beasts and animals and creatures that have been created. And he said, all of them we have tamed. Are you kidding me? He says in verse seven, he says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures are being and have been tamed by mankind. I don't know whose idea this was. I don't know who thought to themselves one day, bet I could control a lion. <laughs> I don't know who woke up and thought, mama, kiss a cobra. But this is what we do. Like, this is just what we do now. Like, oh, death cobra right here. Watch me. The arrogance. Are you kidding me? Oh, no big deal. That's Mufasa. <laughs> one swipe, one bite. This thing is over. And yet this guy's like, mm, I think I can get him to like sit like a little dog. Watch this. Watch. He's like, nah, I'm in charge. Okay, sir. <laughs> or a 16 foot gator probably a croc. That is not the reaction your pastor would have. <laughs> oh, I think I'll just have a pet gator. We have literally, we ride elephants. If any of these animals knew what they were capable of, it would be over for us. And James is saying, we have tamed lions and tigers and cobras and bears and some people it hasn't gone so well for, but it's been done. We've tamed whales. We got Shamu listening to us up the road. But then he makes this huge, he goes, as impressive as that is, as powerful as we are. Verse eight says this, but no person, not one human can actually tame their tongue. Whales, lions, cobras, laughable compared to this thing. You have a better chance with a cobra, a lion, a whale, and a gator then you do this tiny little muscle, this spark, this rudder, this bit. He says, it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. And that label right there lets you know how real this really is. 
So James is saying, your tongue is a problem. Why? Remember, what's he saying? He's like, hey, don't rush into influence and power and leadership and teaching. Why? Because the scorecard's higher, specifically in this area. And then he's going to kind of like just put his finger on my heart and be like, come on, James. Because he's about to like tell on all of us right here in verse 9. He says, with the tongue, with our tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. We sing hymns. We sing all the songs written by the six same worship bands. We just didn't know it. And then right after it, we curse human beings. And then he goes, who, by the way, were made in the image and likeness of God. He's like, in the same day, in the same breath, we will come and sing, how great is our God. And on the way out, we'll sing, how dumb is my neighbor. <laughs> Needs to learn to drive in the right lane. Right? Like, just trying to get to Chick-fil-A. Like, it's the same church service. We're like singing the praises of God and words before we get our kids out of kids ministry in the parking lot. Is that idiot? That those? Can you believe? And James is like, this is what I'm talking about. And I don't think there's any of us who are like, well, I don't know if James is right about that. He says, we're cursing people who are made in the likeness or image of God. And he's not talking about just believers. He's talking about anyone, even people who do really stupid, bad, hurtful things. I heard a pastor a long time ago when I was really young, and it really challenged me because you might find this hard to believe, but my tongue has gotten me into trouble throughout my life. (laughs) He said this in a message I'll never forget. He says, how I treat you and how I speak about you is reflective of how I feel about the God who created you. How I treat you, how I speak about you, whether you're there or not, is reflective of how I feel about the God who created you. That challenged me almost 20 years ago, and it challenges me just as much today. And James is saying he's literally putting a mirror in front of our own lives and he's, our lives and he's going, what is, is, is happening here? What's coming out of us? Because, see, I learned a long time ago that words, they're like toothpaste. Once you get it out, that's usually what it sounds like too. <laughs> now, what if I said, hey, um, I need you to come put this back in the tube. Not gonna happen, right? It's done. It's out there. Like there's no putting it. There's no like, you can kind of scoop a little bit of it back, but words are like toothpaste. Oh, and it doesn't matter. You can say, just kidding. You know, I was joking. LOL, JK, whatever, whatever, whatever. But it's not going back. And James is saying our words... are are the rudder, the bit to our life. And they are almost untamable. And there's no amount of, I'm sorry, take it back. Once it's out, it's out. And there's no putting it back. And some of us have been so damaged by other people's words, yet we do the same thing to other people. And James is just simply saying, this ought not be. And what he's really saying is that our words actually tell the truth about our character. I told you, James is like getting after it. Verse 10, he says, out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. And then he says the most obvious statement ever. This ought not be. 
in the same breath, in the same day, in the same voice, how great is our God and how bad is our neighbor. And he's saying, you don't get those back when they come out. They're out. And he says, this should not be. And then he's going to kind of make this comparison. He says, can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? This was written 2,000 years ago in, in, in the other side of the world. This was before the Army Corps of Engineers dug out canals, and the answer is actually yes now. We know that, but we're not talking about brackish canals that you live on. The actual answer is no. We need to clear that up here. Context matters. Or he said, my brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt produce fresh water. Now, every time I read this, I'm like, wait, figs, olive, briars, bri I don't even know. So let me make it our language. Can an apple tree produce lemons? Can a lemon tree produce apples? Okay. So now we're all with on the same page with James, right? James is literally saying, it doesn't matter how bad this apple tree wants to be a lemon tree. It doesn't matter the claims it makes about being a lemon tree. It doesn't matter the story it tells about the nursery it grew up in in the orchard just north of here near Florida Fresh Orchard Farms or whatever. And I was with all the lemons and the limes. It doesn't matter what this apple tree puts out on Facebook. And it doesn't matter what church this apple tree goes to and what scripture this apple tree has read and what worship songs this apple tree has, has written and, and sings and, and how many Bible studies it says. And it says, I am a lemon tree. Doesn't matter. It's like, bruh, I got some bad news. You're not about it. He says a tree. He's actually referencing Jesus in Luke 6. Luke says this, watch this on the screen. Jesus, he's refer referencing right here the words of Jesus. No good tree bears bad fruit, and no bad tree bears good fruit. Each is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. I don't know what that means. That's why I'm doing apples and, 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 and lemons. But then he says in verse 45, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his what? Watch this. Heart. This is the most important part right here. A good man brings good things stored up out of the abundance of his heart. Likewise, the evil person or the bad person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. And this is the, like Jesus. For the mouth speaks whatever is actually full of the heart. The mouth speaks whatever the heart is loaded up on. The mouth speaks whatever is flowing out of the heart. So the readers of James knew this. So they wouldn't have tried harder to watch your mouth. They would have taken inventory of what was in their heart. James isn't trying to get us to talk better. James is going, hey, what kind of fruit's coming out of your life? I'm apple tree. I'm apple tree. I'm apple tree. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. But all we do is gossip and complain and backbite and factions and criticize and we're negative and nothing's ever good enough and no one's ever good enough. And rah, 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 rah. James is saying, you can try to be whatever tree you want, but your words are telling on you. And Jesus says, your fruit, it's actually not about your words. It's whatever is in your heart. The truth is an apple tree cannot produce lemons. 
and a lemon tree cannot produce apples. Jesus said a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad fruit can't, bad tree cannot produce good fruit. I asked earlier, if you could be a tree, what would you be? And you all obeyed so well. James would say to you, whatever comes out of your mouth, that's what tree you are. Forget oak tree, forget apple tree. Are you an encouraging tree? Are you a life-giving tree? Are you a heart of God tree? Are you a value-adding tree? Are you an exhorting tree? Are you a, 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 a speak life tree? Or are you a negative tree? Are you a, a, a death tree? Are you a negativity tree? Are you a, a, a complaining tree? Are you a gossiping tree? Are you a, a just constant, the world around you? What is the fruit? Because again, you can claim to be whatever tree you want, but James is like, oh, we'll see. Go ahead and start talking. Because hmm. Jesus says later, you can judge a tree by its fruit. I mean, if, if I was like, hey, you guys are never gonna guess what kind of tree this is. You're like, uh, lemon dummy. Why? Because the lemon's coming out. Well, no, this tree claims to have had, but you don't know the story of this tree. You don't know what was said to this tree or about this tree. James would say, that's really too bad. And I, I, I have empathy for that. But at the end of the day, it kind of doesn't matter. There's a story of a youth pastor friend of mine. He had uh, met this kid and he just recently came from a rough, kind of a rough background and just recently came to church, got saved, gave his life to Jesus, was hanging out with the youth, uh, the youth pastor a couple weeks later and just out of nowhere, just dropped an F-bomb. And, uh, and, and he said to the youth pastor, he goes, oops, I slipped. And without thinking, the youth pastor said, no, you didn't slip, you just revealed. Think about it. Happens to me on the golf course all the time when people finally find out who I really am and what I really do. Oh, sorry, it slipped. No, I've just been watching your tree grow for 14 holes. <laughs> I'd like to introduce you to some creative new words. Um, so if that's us, James is like, he's kind of bringing it. What fruit is coming out of your, your mouth? What fruit is coming out of your life? And again, don't take this at face value. Don't do, the, don't do the religious thing, which is I'm gonna try harder to talk better. No, 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 don't. You have to change your heart. You have to pay attention to your heart. How do you do that? You have four portals to your soul. One, two, three, four. What you watch and what you listen to is the portal to your soul. And if you want to grow different fruit, you want to change your heart, your James would say, and Jesus would say, it's like the brotherly message, they're preaching together, that your words are just telling on what's already in your heart. And if you don't like the fruit, remember, 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 if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, James said at the very beginning, if you lack any of this stuff, ask God and he's gonna give it generously to you and he's not gonna hold your mistakes against you. So the point of this is not to shame you into not coming back. It's to get you to look at your heart and go, God, I acknowledge I'm not doing what I need to do and I want to do better. And then he ends the last five verses and we're not, I'm not gonna do the last section, verse 13 through 18. You can go read it on your own this week. But he really is just contrasting the same thing he introduced in chapter uh, one, which is the difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And we've kind of already said that if you're gonna follow Jesus, your life is gonna look a lot different and wisdom's gonna look a lot different. Um, but he does say that uh, uh, in, um, in verse 14, that he said, uh, if you harbor bitter envy or selfish ambition, such wisdom is demonic. And that word selfish ambition is just answering the question, am I trying to make a name for myself or am I trying to make a name for God? And so, as we close, 
everything really does point out back to that first question James is asking. Is the goal of my life truly to be more and more like Jesus? If it is, I think we have an opportunity this week to take inventory of our life. How? Let's just do a word audit. Let's pay attention to the words that come out of our mouth. The negativity, is it gratitude? Is it complaining? Is it positivity? Because James says that that fruit is the fruit of your life. And if you can tame your tongue, you're whole, you're perfect, you're like Jesus. But it doesn't start by trying harder to cuss less or complain less. If all we do is put in things that are negative and complaining and and gossip, then it's going to get in our heart and we can't help but grow that fruit. Are you guys still with me? So I think James would cause us to ask these questions and I'll give you this as we close. Do I like the fruit coming out of my life? I lovingly challenge you and encourage you to wrestle with this question this week. Well, what fruit are you talking about, Pastor? If you don't know the answer to that, you missed the last 30 minutes. What fruit? The words that are coming out of your mouth are telling on your character and they're telling on your heart. What are they saying? Do your words, does the fruit of your life look and smell like Jesus? If not, God doesn't want to shame you. This is not a, you don't belong here. It's a, this is absolutely a place for you, but it starts with the humility of going, I need to repent. I need to say, God, I've used my mouth for the wrong reasons. It's taken this thing in the wrong direction and I have the wrong things in my heart, but I want you to come in and I want you to drive that junk out and I want to put more of you in me. That's the response. And if you're a believer, it, it, it's, it's, it's a regular ongoing process. If you've never had a relationship with Jesus, it starts by saying, I want this power, this access. God, God promises that if you allow him into your life, that he's gonna empower you almost supernaturally to do these things in the areas where you have fallen short. So many of, you have, so many of us have tried so hard, so hard to do it our own way. And then when we surrendered and invited Jesus in, it's almost like he empowered us. It was like a cheat code. And some of you have been trying so hard on your own. And now is the time, today is the day for you to say, Jesus, I'm gonna let you in. I, I need your help to do this thing. Jesus doesn't want you to change your words. He wants to change your heart. Your words will follow suit. So do I like the fruit that's coming out of my life? What tree would I be? I'm gonna pray. If you've never given your life to Jesus, all you have to do is invite him in right now as I pray. Jesus, I want, I want you in my life. If you do that, we wanna help you and equip you and we would just ask that on your way out, you would text the word KPS to 94,000. And then for the rest of us, We're just gonna ask God that we would produce good fruit that comes out of our heart and that we would start by repenting and saying, God, I've blown it, but I wanna do better. So I'm just gonna invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the words of your brother James. God, I thank you that we have the opportunity to look at our own soul this week, that we have the opportunity to ask a a couple good questions. Do I like what's coming out? Do I like how I treat people? Do I like the words that are coming out? Do I like what is... uh, uh, is a re- kind of a representation of my character and my heart. God, so we repent. Those of us who would say, man, I have been too much of a conduit of negativity. We're sorry, God. We wanna do better. But God, we are not just saying, help us to change our words. But God, I pray that we would evaluate what we let into our heart that you would change our heart, that we would want to be more like Jesus. So Holy Spirit, come, would you empower us? Would you endure us Would you endure us with power so that we can live in a way that says that we are more and more like you? God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that your goal for us is never to shame us, but always to love us and make us more and more like Jesus. And so we say, God, help us not just to hear this message this week, 
but let us do something with it as you continue to change your life. Thank you for your grace, your patience, your love. In Jesus' name, amen.